Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I want to start this morning with a question. Just how many here remember your 20th birthday? For some, it wasn't quite so long ago. For some, it was like ancient history. For some, you're still kind of looking forward to it. Um, but there's an interesting thing. I was thinking about that this week, this week because um, we are coming up on our 20th anniversary together as a church in February. Um, and I was thinking about that in the context of um, where we are at as a church and, and kind of comparing that to kind of what it's like when you turn 20. Because it's, it's kind of one of those um, tweener birthdays because you're no longer a teenager, you know, and, but you're not quite considered an adult. And so it's like that, that year, that 20th year is kind of, it's a really it's a transitional year because you begin to realize, it starts to dawn on you, for those of you who can think back that far, um, that all of a sudden it's like all the direction that you've been given for your life by your parents, um, all the things that they tried to instill in you, those values, those characteristics, all of those things, now, now like pretty soon it's, it's going to be all you. You know, you're making that transition from, from adolescence into adulthood, and it begins to dawn on you now that all of the decisions that you make and all the choices that you're making, like, you got nobody else to blame. You know, now it's all on you, and, and this, what you do with your life from here on out, you're becoming your own person. Up till now, your parents have kind of directed you, but now, now it's going to be your choice whether you're going to embrace those values and those characteristics and those things that they, they tried to instill in you and make them your own, or will you go a completely different way? And I was thinking about that in the context of where we are at together as a church because it's really kind of one of those transitional years for us too. Um, we started this church with a very, very specific um, mission, and it was to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. But it occurred to me that we're at a stage in the life of our church where we will either fully embrace that, and that will be the driving force for this next season in the life of our life together as a church, or we will simply just sit back on the things that we've accomplished and say that's good enough. And I think it's very, very important when you get to this stage to be able to go back and look at what is it that makes us who we are? Why we exist together as a church? And what then does God want us to do as we move into our future together? Um, As we're beginning this this new season, that vision, that commitment, will we remain true to that? Um, It's been my, my prayer for this church since the beginning that we would be that kind of a church. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what that looks like. That we'd be a church that is real. Real people with all of the warts and the flaws and the failures and the successes and all that stuff. But we're just real people. Um, And that we would be resilient. That we would decide together that no matter what, that we would trust God for our future, for our supply, for our resources, for whatever we needed. That we would never give up because God is the one who is leading us. And we would follow him with our whole hearts. And then last week I talked about this whole aspect of redemptive. That it is the mission of the church to be redemptive. That we are called to be the continuation of Jesus' ministry in this world. That Jesus poured his life into 12 and then another larger group among them. But all for the purpose of launching them to continue the work that he began while he was on this earth. And now it is our job as we move into this 21st century to be the extension of Jesus' work in this world. And how we will uniquely fulfill that, that has been the prayer and discussion and thought 
among our leadership for the last month or so is we've been praying about, God, where are you leading us? And this whole series has come out of that, that prayer, that this is where we believe God is leading us together as a church. And I want to wrap that all up with this last um, section here. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We've been looking at 2 Corinthians through this whole series, just not verse by verse all the way through, but just little snapshots of, because the second letter to the Corinthian church is Paul's defense, if you will, of his ministry. He said, this is what God has called me to. This is where he wants me to lead. Um, This is what he's made you a part of now as a church in this city called Corinth. And in Acts chapter 10, he kind of starts to wind down the letter. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 12. He says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the field that God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. We're not going too far in our boasting as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, that our area of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in another man's territory, but let him who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself that's approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul saying, this is it. This whole letter, this is what this is all about. This is the thing that God has given to me. And this is the thing that he has given to you. And it's not our job to criticize or compare against any other ministries. It's not our job to measure ourselves against other people. It's our job to be faithful to the calling that God has given to us. And I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. Because it really comes down to, as a church, how will we uniquely express what God has given to us in our community? In the community surrounding us. In the areas that he has placed us with our uniqueness, with our giftings, with our abilities, with our talents, with the things that God has equipped us as a church. And not just as a church together, but on the micro level, personally, individually, because the church is the people. And so it comes down to you and I individually saying, okay, what is it that God has called me to do? And I think one of the keys to that is simply being able to identify your unique calling your unique contribution, my unique contribution. Yes, as a church, we have a unique calling because every ministry, every church is unique. They all have their own different personalities. And Paul understood that. In fact, he understood this whole idea of purpose and calling. He starts in verse 13 with these words. He says, we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. Some of your translations might say the arena of service or the arena of ministry. And the word that he's used there. It's a really interesting word. It's a word that was used to describe, because the Corinthians, um, they, they, that city, they actually were famous for their games. They weren't the Olympic games. They were called the Isthmian games, because they were on an isthmus, which I can't pronounce. So. Um, but they, had, they were very well known for this. And, and what he's talking about, it's the, it's the word that would be used to describe the lane in a foot race. You've seen that you've been out like to football fields or tracks and they're oval tracks around and they're marked out into lanes. And particularly in particular events like the 400 relay, you have to stay in your lane, which almost seems kind of strange because if you look at it, the starting lines are in different places 
And it really looks like the people that are in the outside lane have, this, have the head start because fin- their start line is way up further forward than everybody else. But they've got the outside track they've got to stay in. And so it's all measured out so that it's equal. But the whole idea is you have to stay in your lane. And in fact, with the 400-meter relay, that particular, you not only have to stay in your lane, but there's also a place in which you pass the baton. It has to be done within a certain box. And Paul is using that word. That's your word that he uses here to describe. He says, I know the lane that God has marked out for me. And I got to stay in my lane. I can't cross over to somebody else's lane. I can't, I can't pass a baton to somebody else outside the box. I've got to stay in my lane. And that's what he's saying here, that we will confine our boasting to the sphere or arena of service that God himself has assigned to us. And he uses that same imagery throughout Scripture. In his letter to the Philippian church, he put it this way. He says, this one thing I do, not these 25 things I dabble in, not all these different races that I run, not all these different lanes that I run. He says, just this one thing. I forget what is behind me. I push hard to what is ahead of me. And I move on toward the goal. He says, I do what it is God has called me to do. And nothing else. Put it this way to the Roman church. He said, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Now, that one really resonated with me 20 years ago when I felt God calling me to start a new church. Because one of the things that did not make any sense to me was to start a new church and then get other people to come from their churches to come to my church. Because I was so much better at being a pastor than all those other pastors. You know? It didn't make any sense to me. That if God was calling me to start a new church, then it was going to be a church to reach new people. And, and when I read that passage in Romans, it was one of those keynote ones. It just kind of stuck me and said, that's what God's calling me to do. That's the lane he has given me to run in. And for the last 20 years, that has been the defining lane for us, that we're not here to attract people from other churches. Now, we understand after 20 years, people move into the area, people move out of the area, people come from other churches. And one of the things we did really early on was we said, well, that's okay if you're coming from another church. But understand this, if you're already a believer and you're already coming from another church, you're not coming here to sit in the chair. Yeah, you're not coming here to, to take up space. If you are already a believer and you're coming from another church, then your purpose here is to serve. Because this church is on a mission. We have a responsibility. We have a calling for God. And it's not to sit around and just take up space. Now, we have not been all that clear about that for the last five years. So if you've come, like within the last five years from another church and you're already a believer, I'm telling you right now, if you haven't heard it already... You're not here to just sit in the seat. You're not in here to take up space. You're not in here to breathe our air. (laughs) You're here to serve. Because that's what a wholehearted follower does. A wholehearted follower serves. And and yes, we welcome people who come from, um, from... you know, other churches or, or who come from outside the area and come and become part. But don't come and just think you're here to sit down. You're here to stand up and put the apron of service around and to serve. And, and we've not been clear about it. So I'm making it really, really clear this morning. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has called you to serve. Not only has he called you, but he has gifted you to serve. Another thing we have not done well, and what's the thing that we are working on right now, is we're going to help you find out where it is that God has called you to serve. Because some of you have been here a long time. And you've just been sitting. 
And we've got a class that we're having in, in a couple of weeks. We're starting it up. It's called the journey class. We haven't done it for a while, but it's called the journey. And it's all designed to help you discover how God has uniquely gifted and shaped you and put you in this body with these abilities and these gifts and with these experiences to be able to serve him because a wholehearted follower serves because we are following Jesus who came to be the servant of all. And so we are here to serve. That is God's design for the church. That God equips and enables. And it's the pastor's job to to then stir up those gifts and to train. So that by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God's people do the work. And if you don't believe that, start reading your New Testament. (laughs) Because it's all over there. It is not the pastor's job to do the work of the ministry. It is the pastor's job to help people discover their gifts so they do the work of the ministry. And one of the things that I said from the very beginning around here was if you will do the work, then I will do my dead level best to make sure that you are equipped and fed. Because that's my job. So that you are able to do what God has called you to do. And if you haven't done that yet, take this class. I really highly encourage you to sign up for it called the journey class. It's going to be a part of Northgate U because wholehearted followers serve. Wholehearted followers stop asking the question, what does this church have to offer to me? And they start asking the question, what is it that God has given me to offer to the church? That's what a wholehearted follower looks like. And if I have no love for people, if I have no desire to serve others, if I have no passion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who don't yet know it, I really have to seriously question my level of spiritual maturity. Because that's the measure. Paul put it this way to the Corinthian church. There are different kinds of gifts. There are different ways to serve. There are different ways to work. But the same God makes it possible for how many of these? All of these to have all those different gifts. So the question is, are you going to be a half-hearted follower? Or are you going to be a whole-hearted follower? I have um, I've said this to the staff. Because every time we, we close our service, we always give people a chance to respond to it. Because I believe that God is speaking and he, and he wants people to make decisions about this, to respond to it. And so if you've been here for any time, you know, every Sunday when we close, we give people a chance to reflect on what we've talked about. And then we ask people, if God is calling you, if you are going to make a decision about this message, we want to pray with you. And we're going to pray with you as we close. So just let us know by raising your hand. So we can pray for those who are making decisions to move forward in their faith. But I have threatened, and I've said this in the staff meeting a couple of times, and I said, one of these days, someday, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, instead of closing it that way, I'm going to start with, okay, so if you're here this morning, and you are going to do absolutely nothing about the message we talked about today, and you have no intention on making any commitment, any decision, you're not going to make any life change because of what we've talked about, would you just be honest enough this morning to raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you, you know, because that's... Because the truth of the matter is, God is always calling us to move forward. And what that looks like is to deeper and deeper commitments to serve. So, it's up to each of us. Not only is it church to discover how has God uniquely equipped us, but how has God uniquely equipped you to serve? Discover that, and we'll help you do that. Second thing is, if we're going to fulfill the calling that God has put on us as a church, we've got to avoid comparing and we got to avoid criticism. Because there are few things 
that will undermine the work of God more than those two things. Because criticism and comparison just damages the work of God. It does incredible damage to the work of God. Paul said, we dare not classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. He said, we just can't do that. It's not our place to compare. And it's certainly not our place to criticize. And Paul had his critics. If you read these two letters to the Corinthian church particularly, he is constantly having to defend himself and explain why he does what he does. Because he had a group of people who were constantly criticizing the things that he did. And here's the deal. I don't know if you've discovered this yet, but if you haven't, I'll clue you in. If you attempt to do something for God, if you attempt to take big steps of faith, if you attempt to do great things for God, you will attract critics. You will. Because critics flock to vision like moths flock to light. (laughs) Because they've got no vision of their own. If they can snuff out your light, if they can snuff out your vision, man, they feel better about themselves. And Paul had his critics. There are people who said, he's not all that impressive. Oh, he writes great letters, but when you hear him speak, he's not all that. They said things like, oh yeah, he's really, really bold and, and, you know, and, and daring when it comes to his writings. But boy, in, in person, like, you know, he's just so mealy-mouthed. It's like he's two different people. They criticized him by being insincere. They criticized him because of, he was not particularly good-looking. And, and he wasn't, by the way, all that eloquent. In fact, there's actually, there's actually um, it's recorded in the book of Acts. There's actually a time where he was actually preaching... And he was so long-winded that he is, is certain, like, you think I go long? He went, like, till midnight. And he went so long. In fact, there was a guy named Eutychus who was, in the, was on the third floor of the, this room, this room on the third floor of this building. And he was sitting in the window. He got so bored, he fell out the window. <laughs> Read it. It's in the Bible. Fell three stories, dead. Paul went down, said he's not dead, prayed for him, raised him back up, went upstairs, and then he preached till six in the morning. It's like he couldn't figure out people aren't with you. Literally, they're not with you. <laughs> Paul had all kinds of critics, but he said, it's not my job to answer my critics. It's my job to do what God has called me to do. And there I have heard criticisms of churches. And, and there are people who have said things about churches and ministries who said, oh, yeah, they're a, you know, they're, they're a great church. They've got lots of people coming, but they're a mile wide and an inch deep. Like, how do you know that? Have you been to that church? Do you know what happens in that church? Do you know what the heart of the pastor is of that church? Because we are so quick to criticize. I don't get that. Except I do it too. I watch TV preachers and I just laugh sometimes. And I'm embarrassed by that. Because here's something that I've learned. Never criticize what God is blessing Never criticize what God is blessing. Now, it may not be my style, and I might laugh at it, might think it's ridiculous, but if God is using that person to bring people to Him, it's not my job to criticize. Do not criticize anything that God is blessing. And then along with that, the comparison thing, because that is another trap. Do not compare. Do not compare your ministry with anybody else's ministry. Do not compare your gifts with anybody else's gifts or abilities or talents. Do not compare your church with any other church. Because it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. It takes all kinds of ministry to reach all kinds of people. 
And, and if you get in this comparison trap, you will always find somebody who is better at it than you. You will always find churches better than yours. And that will lead to discouragement. Or you will find people who are not as good as you. Ministry is not as effective as yours. And that leads to pride. And that's even worse. Comparison and criticism that just undermines, undermines the work of God. And and I can't stress that enough. Because we are so critical of each other. And when you get into that frame of mind, then it doesn't matter how good what's being done is being done. You have a critical spirit and you cannot rejoice in the work of God. And it is destructive. It only divides. Now, no church is perfect. No ministry is perfect. Believe it or not, no pastor is perfect. And... and, and Believe me, we are not the exceptions to the rule. Are there things that we need to work on? Absolutely. Are there things that we could improve around here? No doubt. Is there room for honest evaluation and assessment to to see are we doing the best that we can? Absolutely. Have we made mistakes? More than I'm going to admit. Will we make more? Count on it. Paul says, I just keep pressing forward. Sometimes people ask, well, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? I don't know. We're just trying stuff, you know, because we want to do whatever we can to help people discover what Christ has for them. And it takes all kinds of churches and all kinds of ministries to all different kinds of people. Paul had his critics and Paul had his comparisons in the Corinthian church. um, Paul helped start the church. He was the founding pastor of this church. And there was another great leader in the church. His name was Apollos. And there was actually, there was actually partisanship that was going on in the church because some people really liked Paul and others really liked Apollos. And some people said, well, I follow Paul. And I said, well, I got baptized by Apollos. You know, and all these arguments about who was better. And Paul finally said to them, what is Apollos and what is Paul? We are only people who serve. The Lord has given to each of us his own work to do. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. God made it grow. The results are up to God. And that's why you don't criticize anything that God is blessing. And that's why you rejoice with whatever God is doing. And it is why, by the way, as we head into our fall, this week we are giving two hours of morning prayer from 6.30 to 8.30. Because it is God who brings results. And if we think new programs and just sprucing up the lobby or whatever it is, is going to make the difference, it's not. It's God who does the growing. We are faithful in what we can do, but it's God who does the growing. So I'm inviting you to come and join me for prayer. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning this week from 6.30 to 8.30. You can come for the whole two hours. You can come for 10 minutes. We're going to have coffee for you. We'll even have some muffins or something too. So if you're skipping breakfast on your way to work, but swing by and pray. If you cannot make it, then take that prayer sheet that's in your, um, in your program and pray where you are at sometime in those two hours because it's the work of God and only God can do His work. So avoid comparisons and criticisms. Discover your unique calling. And then the last one is, since it's all up to God anyway, then look only for his commendation. Because he's the only one that matters. 
Paul says it's not those who commend themselves who are approved, but those whom the Lord commends. Doesn't matter what anybody says about your ministry. Doesn't matter what anybody says about my ministry. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he said, if my life is fruitless, then it doesn't matter who praises me. And if my life is fruitful, then it doesn't matter who criticizes me. (laughs) Those are good words to live by. Because the only one whose opinion that matters is God's. It's the Lord who commends. So run your race to an audience of one. Let me ask you this morning, who's in your grandstand? Who are you trying to impress? Whose opinion matters so much to you that it keeps you from doing what God has called you to do? There is nothing more fulfilling than knowing that you've been a part of God's work in this world and you've had an eternal impact on somebody's life. We've been collecting yay God stories and sharing a few of them at the beginning of the service, which, by the way, if you've not been getting here on time, you've missed some really cool stories. But let me just read you one that came, another one that came in this week um, from a member of our church whose name is also Ken. He wrote this. Hello, Pastor Ken. I've known Matt since 1993. He's been a good friend, and I've been praying for him for many years. Within the last few years, he moved to Arizona. And then for a period of time, I had lost contact with him. I recently found him on Facebook and every so often shot him a little note that I'm praying for you. Last week, you had us write down the names of five people to pray for, which I did. And then he lists his five people. Matt was among them. I just got a note this week. I just got a note from Matt, and this is what he told me. Thanks, Ken. We miss you and your family too. I found faith and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I am getting baptized the 5th of September today. Today, yeah. That's cool. So he goes on. So all is amazing with us. (laughs) How are you guys doing? Good, I pray. And then this blew me away. It gave me goosebumps all over. I was so excited to hear this news. I wished I could be there and celebrate with him. And then he finished with this. Thank you, Ken. I know that you've been praying. And I understand now what you have been trying to show me for years. It's been a long journey leading up to this. And you have been at Jesus' side helping me each step of the way. As all my friends and family, you will be in my heart and prayers this coming Sunday. For you have helped me a lot more than you realize. Thank you, Ken, for being there. And never stop believing in me, my brother. Isn't that cool? That is just... There is nothing like knowing that you've been a part of what God is doing in somebody else's life and knowing that what you did had an impact for eternity. And that's why we do what we do. So don't give up. Last week I had you write out your your five names. I hope you've been praying for them this week. If you haven't, write them down this week and begin praying. Bring them with you Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday mornings. We'll pray with you for those people. But God is doing work in this world and he wants you to be a part of it. And if you're not, you're just missing out. And what he is doing now is only preparation for what he has for our future. Paul goes on, he says, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. Paul's saying, as much as I love you guys, as much as God has used me and my ministry to make an impact on you, it's only so not only can I reach you, but I can reach people beyond you. And so wherever you are at today, 
And whatever lives you have touched, and whatever life has touched you, it is only so that from here you can reach beyond. About four years ago, just before we moved into, actually just as we were moving into this location, after 14, 15, 16 years of giving and planning and saving all that, um, we put together a little video that showed a little bit of the history of Northgate and got a kind of condensed version. For those of you who've come in the last four or five years, just want you to see um, what God has been doing and what we're looking forward to in the future. So would you run the video, please? Northgate began in my living room. We started with 12 adults and about five kids and a vision and a heart to reach unchurched people. And after about nine months in my living room, we were able to secure a lease on the old post office downtown and uh, put a lot of work into it, moved into that facility, and uh, the church continued to grow. We began a serious search for uh, a place for a permanent church home. And we had uh, very little options available to us. There was some property that was owned by IT Corporation. It was outside the city limits, but it gave us some room to be able to grow. Uh, through a long series of wonderful miracles, um, what, what happened was that IT Corporation actually made that property a donation to us, 20 acres of land, which to me is an absolute miracle. And in fact, the day that we were able to announce that to the congregation, I, I told everybody, I said, I don't know what qualifies as a miracle in your book, this one qualifies in mine. many of you know it, but that gravel lot out there is designed to be the next phase of our building project. And this building that we're meeting in becomes our youth center. So we're praying that you guys take this whole place over, all right? That this becomes the student ministries here. But it's not just the building. The building is the place where the family gets together. What really is all about, and I shared this a couple weeks ago, we began this series, and I just want to end with this. This is our picture of what Northgate looks like when Northgate's at its best. This is our future. When Northgate's at its best, everyone who walks through our doors for the first time is welcomed warmly by everyone because we've all been first-timers. They're encouraged and engaged in a conversation by someone who takes a genuine interest in them as a person. 
When Northgate's at its best, the message of God's grace is understood and fully embraced by all. Not just in theory, but in practice. That people are as accepted, ac- accepted as is, without being left with the impression that they have to clean up their act before they can belong here. When Northgate is at its best, there's a clear understanding that we are all fallen imperfect human beings in need of grace, loved by God, redeemed by Jesus' work, and being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit from the inside out. When Northgate is at its best, everyone who calls Northgate their home, regardless of where they be in the transformation process, is relentlessly pursuing the life that God has for them. That we are all growing in our knowledge, understanding, lifestyle, and service in this new life that we've been given by God's grace. When Northgate is at its best, we're a family. We're a community of grace because we're all in this process and no one has arrived. We treat each other with love and mercy. We're patient with each other and we never give up on anyone. We encourage, we support, we lovingly rebuke and urge each other forward in spiritual maturity. When Northgate's at its best, our new life in Christ is not compartmentalized as just a part of who we are. It is who we are 24-7. That our daily lives, our interactions with other people, our behavior and our activities are a reflection of Christ within us. And they're an act of worship that honors God in all that we do. When Northgate is at its best, we understand that spiritual maturity is not just about acquiring knowledge. It's about life change. And we study, we worship, we gather together for the purpose of promoting that growth in each other. As we each take personal responsibility for our own spiritual development. When Northgate's at its best, we've surrendered authority and control of our lives to God. Our time, our gifts, our talents, our finances, and our relationships are trusting that he loves us dearly and that he knows and desires what is best for us. And we are learning on a daily basis what that looks like as we put it into practice. When Northgate is at its best, everyone is discovering, developing, and using their unique God-given talents, abilities, and spiritual gifts in ministry in the church body and in their community, not as a volunteer acting out of duty or obligation, but as a minister fulfilling a calling. When Northgate is at its best, if we see an area of ministry that is lacking, we seek to be a part of the solution. We take personal responsibility however we can to address the problem, believing that God has brought it to our attention because we are to be a part of the solution. We don't wait for somebody to do something about it. And when Northgate is at its best, we never lose our heart for people who don't know Jesus. We look at everyone we meet as someone who is dearly loved by God, for whom Christ gave his life. And we recognize that God has placed each of us where we are to fulfill his commission to reach people. And that means we go out of our way. We step out of our comfort zone. We reach beyond ourselves for their sake. We don't seek our own comfort or well-being first. We seek people and celebrate when anyone turns their life toward Christ. When Northgate is at its best, that's what it looks like. And I don't know about you, but when I come to the end of my life and I stand before God, the only words I want to hear are these words of Jesus. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. Faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share In your master's happiness. It's the only words I want to hear. I hope you too. Would you bow your heads with me? 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. Oh,